And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. The cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God commanded his people in the Old Testament to give evidence of their love by making sacrifices. A willingness to sacrifice something that is valuable to us in order to strengthen the relationship with another person is a clear sign that we want to love that person. When the Son of God came to earth, It took the disciples some time to understand that he had come to give his life as a sacrifice for them. Mark shows how the theme of Jesus' teaching changed from revealing himself as the Son of God to revealing his desire and need to suffer and die as a sacrifice for his people to bear the punishment of God for their sins. From Jesus' baptism, the beginning of Mark, and his teaching and his healing ministry in the first part of that book, the disciples understood that that voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism that said, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased, that revealed Jesus as the Christ. However, when it was time for Jesus to head to Jerusalem to suffer and to die, and Jesus let his disciples know that, and we can see that right there at the the end of chapter 8. Then Peter rebuked Jesus. It would appear that Peter and the other apostles were being blinded by Satan so that they were desiring that Christ be raised to glory immediately without any suffering. Jesus could feed thousands of people. He could heal all the sick. Many people wanted to make him their king right away. Why would Jesus teach his disciples that they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and even lose their lives? The Lord Jesus had to teach them that he would show his love for them through his suffering 
and death, and that whoever would follow him should expect the same thing. And in this context, the Mount of Transfiguration makes it very clear that although Jesus shared in the majestic glory of heaven, his self in a self-sacrificial love, he was willing to give it up for a time so that he could save his church, he could save us from punishment. Our Lord Jesus promised that some of the people, you can see that in verse 1, some of the people standing with him would see the kingdom of God before they too would have to taste death. And after six days, we read in our text, he took some of them up a high mountain. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme that Jesus' transfigured glory revealed that he chose to die for his church. We'll see his majestic glory and his self-sacrificial love. Well, Peter, James, and John did not have to wait a very long time to see what our Lord Jesus meant when he talked about seeing the kingdom of God. Although it was only a sign and a foretaste of the powerful coming of the kingdom of God when the Son of Man would come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, what they saw on the mountain could leave them in no doubt that Jesus before them and the Father in heaven were one. When Jesus took three disciples as witnesses and led them to the privacy of a high mountain where they were alone by themselves, we read he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. The word transfigured is a translation of the word metamorphosis. And it means that Jesus' figure was changed. His appearance was changed. And indeed, his clothes sparkled like a star's light in a way that made it very clear that this was divine work. And if the disciples knew the Old Testament well, they may have immediately thought of how Moses' face would shine as a result of talking with God, like we can read in Exodus 34. And it would have been a clear indication that some of the glory of heaven was touching the earth on this high mountain. The visible manifestation of the glory of heaven touching the earth was further revealed to the disciples when Elijah and Moses appeared to them. We don't know how the three disciples knew that the two Old Testament witnesses were Elijah and Moses, since these men had ended their ministry on earth many hundreds of years before the moment described in our text. And yet the disciples could see their living bodies talking with Jesus. The glimpse into the glory of heaven showed faithful servants of the Old Testament now speaking with the Son of God who had been before on his throne in heaven to receive them so many hundreds of years before. It's a beautiful confirmation of the resurrection of the body, the eternal life of faithful men who are promoted to glory. Their fellowship and their conversation with Jesus reveal a shared experience of kingdom glory 
And when we read in Luke that they were talking about Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem, we also see that the saints are united in the Lord's plans and purpose for sending his Son. And, and the glory of heaven touching earth fills our hearts with joy in God's power. And there was Elijah. Elijah was a famous prophet in the Old Testament whose prayers brought drought or rain, fire from heaven to destroy enemies. He was given the spirit and power while he prepared the people for the coming of the Lord. He did not die, but he was separated from his successor Elisha with chariots of fire and horses of fire before he was taken up in a whirlwind into heaven. He displayed the kingdom of God in its power, in its resistance to evil forces. Elijah's ministry, however, did not stay tucked away in the dusty history books. For in the last chapter of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, in the final verses, the Holy Spirit promised the reappearance of Elijah the prophet who would come and prepare the way for the great and awesome day of the Lord. We saw that in Malachi 4 verse 5. It was the display text this morning. And the disciples knew of this prophecy. And it would not be surprising that, that the terror they were experiencing was related to the thought that they were seeing the initial moments of that great and awesome day of, of judgment as when the Son of Man comes in glory with the Father in the glory of his Father with the holy angels to judge the living and the dead. Moses also was a very highly esteemed and well-known person from the Old Testament, still highly esteemed in Jesus' day. Moses talked with God. He was given great powers to command the plagues against this powerful nation of Egypt to bring water from the rock, to lead the people through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses was the one who wrote down the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone as the Lord Almighty dictated them to him. And he served as the mediator of the Old Covenant. The first five books of the, of the Bible, God's revelation, outlining the origins of the universe and the eternal decrees by which God would live with his people both before and after the fall into sin, those books are often referred to as the books of Moses, or sometimes simply just as, as Moses. And there he was, the mountain, talking with Jesus Christ. And as with Elijah, the Lord's promise in Deuteronomy 18 verses 15 to 22, to raise up a prophet like Moses in the future formed the, the hope of the Messiah of the people of God. And in this light, the parallels between Moses' climb up the mountain that we read about in Exodus 24 and our text are, are very significant. For once again, we see a high mountain. We see a period of six days we see a cloud covering the mountain and then a voice speaking to Moses out of the midst of the cloud which looked like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. And while Peter, James, and John were, were seeing all that the Lord was revealing to them, 
a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And this time, God's voice describes Jesus. It doesn't speak to Jesus like it did at His baptism, but it, it presents Jesus. It describes Jesus and comes with an announcement and a command. And by identifying the man in shining clothes as his beloved son. The Lord confirm, confirms that he is with Jesus in his mission. Jesus and the Father are one in purpose and plan. Peter may have rebuked Jesus Christ for talking about his impending death and resurrection, but now the Father in heaven confirmed that he approved of Jesus' suffering and death. Perhaps with reference to Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, where the Lord said it was that prophet like Moses that you shall listen to, the voice from heaven now commands the disciples to listen to his beloved son. We can almost see a, a rebuke to Peter in this voice for arguing with Jesus about his suffering. Moses and Elijah were important in their time for their work of appointing the people ahead to the promised Messiah. And they, and they did this with, with much power. But now that the Son of Man has taken on, Son of God has taken on human flesh to complete the work of the Christ with humble suffering, now the world must listen to Him. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. And He is able to bring the church to the promised awesome day of judgment and restoration. And so Jesus revealed his majestic glory. And his Father in heaven commanded his disciples to listen to him and do not rebuke him. Listen to him when he speaks about what would happen in the coming days. Although Jesus himself had ready access to the glory of heaven in the eternal fellowship with, with the saints, he had come to the world to serve a fallen and rebellious human race. As he told the disciples, and he would tell them again, he chose to die for them. And then Mark says in verse 8, And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. They were left alone with the one who fulfilled the promises to which Moses and Elijah were pointing. The power ministries of the Old Testament were left behind and the disciples were left with the suffering servant. Like Moses and the elders had done so many hundreds of years before, they turned their backs on that special meeting with God and the glimpse of, of heavenly glory, and they returned their attention to the needs of the crowd in the midst of this adulterous and sinful generation. This day of transfiguration would not be the final day of judgment. The Lord Jesus had more work to do. The glory of Jesus would be seen in a, in a different way by his disciples. For as he came down the mountain, he began his departure from Galilee and he set his face toward Jerusalem where he would suffer and be killed. And we see this in our second point. We see 
his self-sacrificial love. The message of the mountain was very clear to the three disciples. Jesus did not need to suffer and die for his own sake. He was able to enjoy heavenly joy and glory without ever facing the, the anguish and agony of hell because he was without sin. Jesus was known to Moses and Elijah. He was set apart as the beloved son of his father in heaven. It's so important for, for the church, for, for all of us today, to know that Jesus voluntarily presented his own body to be the sacrifice for our sins. Because then we see the profound depths of his self-sacrificial love for undeserving sinners. See the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. Although the majestic glory of shining fellowship with God in heaven that, that we all long for, it was, it was there at his, his fingertips. Our Lord Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He only needed to do these things because of his infinite love for his church. The infinite love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit towards the people he had chosen out of mere grace. The Son of God had come to bear the punishment for the sins that we had committed and he resolutely stayed on his course. And this is why Peter's impulsive response to all that he was seeing was not appropriate for the situation. Mark explains that Peter did not know what to say for they were terrified. And as Moses and Elijah were parting from them, like we can read in Luke 9 verse 33, he quickly offered to make three tents, presumably because he didn't want them to leave. He wanted to prolong this very good and very special moment. The irony of offering temporary tent dwellings to men who were dwelling in the glory of heaven reveals Peter's confusion. At the same time, it's not hard to identify with his desire to prolong this moment of light and, and bliss. We're made to, to live in that fellowship with God. And pressure outside was, was building. Suffering is, is not enjoyable. And it was tempting to remain in this, this moment of rest and reprieve for a very long time. And sometimes we have that when we're in, we're in church, when we're worshiping God, when we're surrounded by fellow believers, singing songs, enjoying fellowship, being safe, being accepted, being confirmed in our beauty before the Lord. And then we, we think of, of heading back into the battlefield and we think, can't we, can't we just stay here? Can't we just ignore everything else, build some tents and stay in the shadow of God's throne, in the light of the gospel, surrounded by people who love justice and seek peace and live in the glory of the forgiveness of sins? However, Peter was wrong to try and stop the Lord Jesus in his work. Peter was, even could say, serving as a mouthpiece of the great tempter Satan 
who was once again trying to dissuade Jesus from fulfilling his purpose, presenting himself as a sacrifice. Peter was wrong to try to convince Jesus to to skip the suffering and head right to the glory, just as Satan had offered to him in the temptations. In a way, it was similar to the cries of the people to Jesus when they stood around the cross and and urged him, come down and, and save yourself. But if Jesus had just stayed there on the mountain and just started ruling from glory, his whole purpose for coming would have been derailed. He would have been a ruler of people destined for eternal death and punishment without a substitute to pay for their sins. He could only bring his disciples and his church into that same glory and light if he first bore the wrath of God for them in his suffering and death. Jesus had more work to do And so he charged his disciples not to tell anyone about the transfiguration until they had witnessed the depth of his love in his death and the greatness of his power in his victorious rising from the dead. And it was and continues to be important for Jesus' disciples to know of his victory over death. And the disciples understood this when they were coming down the mountain and and they focused in on what this rising from the dead might mean. Not only did it mean that Jesus, their teacher, would die before they did, but it also meant that he would not remain under the punishment of God. Elijah rose to heaven from from the living, but Jesus was talking about rising from the dead. You see the destruction of death in these very words. And if our Lord Jesus was thus that son of man who comes with the glory of his father with the holy angels, when would that judgment day come? How does the scribes teaching about Elijah, they asked, how does that fit in with the chronology of Jesus' work? And then Jesus' explanation brings everything Together, He says, yes, Elijah does come to restore all things, but this restoration of all things does not override the other prophecies, such as Isaiah 53 that we even sang a part of. Prophecies which spoke of, of the suffering and the contempt of the Son of Man, to which Jesus had even been alluding to in his sermon six days before, as you can see in verse 31 of chapter 8. And then Jesus goes even further and says, Elijah has come. And even that special prophesied herald of the awesome judge and king promised in the last verses of the Old Testament, even he was mistreated at the hands of those who did with him whatever they pleased. Here you have a picture of what to expect when you serve in God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 17 verse 13 confirms that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist who had come in the spirit and power of Elijah and whose head was cut off by King Herod at the wicked request of his wife Herodias. Now the point was very clear 
for the disciples as they turned away from, from, the, from the glory and they headed back into the sinful and adulterous generation. They were entering the days of the coming kingdom of God through the work of the Messiah and the disciples of Jesus should not count on an easy life if they wanted to follow their Lord. Peter learned that on the Mount of Transfiguration that although the Lord gives us this foretaste of the power of the kingdom of God, until the kingdom comes in all its fullness and our Lord Jesus returns in the cloud, following Jesus means taking up our cross and suffering for the kingdom in the midst of this sinful world, as our Lord Jesus said right before the transfiguration. And so Peter, James, and John would bear witness to the gospel with their preaching, with their written gospel accounts, and with their very lives when they were punished by the authorities for their faith. Peter even hung on a cross upside down. John exiled to the island of Patmos. James killed before his time. And they would learn what Jesus meant when he told his followers to deny themselves, to deny their own desires, to take up their cross, to follow Jesus Christ by imitating his self-sacrificial love for God and for his church. And then so in a letter that Peter writes and, and the, the, the letters that Peter writes, he's writing to a church that is being intensely persecuted. And, and Peter's certain of his own impending death. What does he write about? He writes about this moment of the transfiguration. We read it together. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And so Peter, warning of persecution and warning of false teachers and scoffers that were to come in the last days, he says this road to glory is not an easy one. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is now the time to proclaim that ministry of our Lord on the mountain. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ ensures that we who believe in him will also be raised with him together with Peter and James and John and Elijah and Moses and Paul many other servants of God. But that road to glory is a road of self-denial and submission. If you look in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 14, Peter says it very clearly, Do not be surprised if you are made to suffer for your faith, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. After Christ's resurrection, we can be comforted to know that even in the midst of, heaven, in the midst of suffering, the glory of heaven 
is near to us, as near to us as it was to our Lord Jesus in his ministry on the earth. The transfiguration of our Lord Jesus reminds us that even in the most bitter suffering, heaven stands open always before us with our Lord Jesus Christ continually interceding before us, as we'll see also this afternoon. Jesus transfigured before the disciples. Elijah and Moses appeared to them. The voice from heaven spoke to these witnesses so that the church might know that the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ was part of God's plan. The disciples could know that his suffering was not a sign of weakness, not a sign of, of losing, but a sign of love, a sign of power that was like unlike anything that Moses and Elijah had seen. James and John, who called the sons of thunder, they wanted to imitate Elijah by, by calling down fire on the Samaritans. They had to learn to listen to Jesus, to the one who called them to self-sacrificial love, to the one who was not concerned about his own interest, but also for the interests of others. God's church is to respond to attacks with humility, with self-sacrificial love for our neighbor, with confidence in the sovereign protection and love of God. And as Jesus brought many sons to glory, so the church is, is called to that self-denial and confident confession of Jesus Christ, being certain that just as their Lord had access to heavenly joy and glory in his life, through his resurrection and ascension, he now prepared the same for all who believe in him. Brothers and sisters, confident of that future glory, the glory that, that we already can, can know is with us, that Christ has obtained for us by his victory over death. Let us also joyfully deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Amen. We'll now sing together hymn 23, that passage that's very closely connected to this humility of our Lord Jesus Christ, empty himself of glory, and that's a hymn based on Philippians 2, and we'll sing that together standing if you're able to stand.